Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Invert Extroverts, the podcast where we talk about the amazing symbiotic relationships of marine invertebrates. Now, remember when I said we weren't going to be talking about dolphins? Well, we still aren't specifically, but today we are going to be talking about whales. Now, I know what you're thinking. Whales are definitely not invertebrates. Well, that may be true, but they do have an interesting relationship with invertebrates. In particular, they have a fascinating relationship with barnacles. Now, you might be surprised to hear that barnacles are actually crustaceans. Yep, they're part of the same subphylum crustacea as lobsters, crabs, and shrimp. Specifically, they're part of the maxillopoda, which includes both copepods and barnacles. Barnacles live attached to other objects, like boat hulls and seawalls. In fact, they cost billions of dollars of damage a year to the shipping industry to remove biofouling barnacles. These barnacles are filter feeders, which means they get their food from little particles that float around in the water. Barnacles have modified appendages called cirri that can be pushed through the water to catch these particles as they go by. But what does any of this have to do with whales? If you've ever been to the coast, you've most likely seen a barnacle, whether attached to the hull of a ship or to posts on a dock. These animals can secrete a type of glue that allows them to attach quickly and securely to pretty much any hard surface. Barnacles comb the water with their cirri to find and eat microparticles in the water, so they love living in places that have a lot of activity and motion in the water whether that be in rocky intertidal zones or on the hull of a ship cutting through the water. If you've ever seen barnacles above the water during low tide and wondered how they can survive being out of the water, well, the answer rests in their shells. Just like many other marine invertebrates, barnacles have a protective shell made up of calcium carbonate. When the tide falls, they can hide inside these shells and survive until the water comes back up again. Unfortunately, these hard shells can also create a significant amount of drag for whatever they're stuck to. For ships, a large barnacle colony can mean more energy required to travel the same distance, which is why barnacles are so important to remove. Barnacles don't just live on inanimate objects like boats. They can also live on other living things, like crabs, turtles, and of course, whales. These barnacles can be parasitic, such as the barnacle Saculina carcinae, which attaches to the legs or carapace of usually the green crab. These parasitic barnacles feed off the blood of these crabs, which over time can cause the crabs to become weak and even infertile. But there are also barnacles who have a much more harmonious relationship with other creatures. Some barnacles hitch a ride with gentle giants. Cetaceans are the infraorder level taxa, which contains the whales, dolphins, and porpoises. Most of the species that have relationships with barnacles are in the parvorder level taxa mysticeti, or the baleen whales. These whales are filter feeders of a sort themselves. Baleen whales are characterized by their huge plates of baleen in their mouths, which they use like a sieve to filter and eat plankton from the water. 
Barnacles are like hitchhikers, grabbing onto the whales and going along for the ride. Barnacles start out as larvae that move around with the ocean currents. Eventually, they latch onto something solid and stay there, growing into adults and living there for their entire lives. When a whale crosses paths with one of these larvae, the larva can embed itself into the whale's skin. As the barnacle grows and the plates of its calcium carbonate shell form, it creates cavities that mesh with the whale's skin, keeping it in place. Whales have such a special relationship with barnacles that there are relationships between specific species of whales and barnacles. And living on the backs of whales is a pretty good deal for these barnacles. They provide them with a stable place to live, and when whales travel through clouds of particles or plankton in the water, it's a buffet fit for a barnacle. Whales provide barnacles with the moving water that makes it easier for them to catch food, and they take them straight to where both the whale and the barnacles will find the best patches to eat. Plus, free world travel on the backs of whales? I'd take that deal. Whales are a highly migratory species, taking their barnacle friends with them through the world's oceans across the globe. And it seems like this pattern isn't a new development. As barnacles are carried around by their whale hosts, they take their oxygen from whatever water they happen to be in and pick up discernible signs along the way. Warmer water provides heavier oxygen molecules than cooler water, so by examining the oxygen content of barnacles, scientists have been able to map out the migratory patterns of both modern-day and historical whales. By finding fossils of a particular barnacle species that strictly associates with humpback whales, researchers at UC Berkeley were able to recreate the migratory paths of these long-gone individuals. What they found was that the migration patterns of humpback whales today strongly reflect the migration patterns of ancient counterparts. This means that both these patterns of migration and the relationship between barnacles and whales have been going on for a very long time. Barnacles, like other filter feeders, also have huge benefits for other species and ecosystems. This is because they clean particles and bacteria out of the water and eat plankton, preventing would-be algal blooms from occurring. This helps other species to thrive in cleaner waters. Plus, they can actually have benefits for whales, too. Some species, like gray whales, have been shown to use their barnacles as a kind of weapon or armor. When these whales are under attack, they sometimes will turn their bodies so the areas with the most barnacles are facing their attacker. Barnacles to the face sounds like a pretty good deterrent. Whales themselves can also have huge benefits to other organisms. Whales are part of a cycle of nutrient movement mediated by their own poop. This cycle is called the whale pump, and it occurs because whales migrate throughout the water column. Whales dive down to feed, and when they surface to breathe, they poop out the nutrients that were eaten down in the depths. This brings important products to the surface, where phytoplankton can use those products to grow. This phytoplankton is the base of the ocean food chain, providing the platform for ocean life to live on. This also helps to mitigate the impacts of climate change. 
phytoplankton sequester carbon in their bodies. And so by helping phytoplankton to grow and reproduce, whales are helping to sequester carbon. Plus, they can also help with nutrient cycling through whale falls. These occur when whales die and their carcasses sink to the bottom of the ocean. Here, they provide food and nutrients for deep sea creatures, but they also transport tons of sequestered carbon to the bottom of the sea. Barnacles can also have huge benefits to humans. Remember that sticky glue we talked about? Well, not only does it help barnacles stick to whales and other surfaces, but scientists are figuring out how to modify this glue for human use. Barnacle glue is one of the strongest, most fast-acting glues in the natural world. And if we can figure out how to co-opt this glue, advancements could be made in tons of different fields, from construction to medicine. At MIT, for example, researchers have used barnacle glue to design a new type of glue for use in sealing injuries to stop bleeding. This glue can seal an injury within 15 seconds, and every second is important when it comes to staunching the flow of blood. And remember those barnacles revealing the migration patterns of whales? Well, it turns out they can be used to track the movements of other things too. In 2014, Malaysia Airlines flight MH370 disappeared over the Indian Ocean, with debris from the plane washing up on shore a year later. Part of the plane debris was covered in barnacles, and scientists thought that examining these barnacles might give up some clues as to exactly where the plane had gone down. The largest barnacles living on the debris are theorized to have settled not long after the crash, and if so, this could mean the temperatures in the water at the time and location of the crash could be contained within these barnacles. Although this application has not yet completely come to fruition, this is a method that could be groundbreaking in narrowing the search area for crashes like these. These same researchers have also used these methods to study historical environmental conditions that may have impacted human actions and migrations. For example, oysters were a common food for settlers in Jamestown, Virginia, and oyster shells from this time were able to reveal conditions of extended drought in 1611 and 1612. Humans also have a long and complicated history of use with whales. For many centuries, whales were seen not as intelligent, gentle giants like we see them now. They were instead seen as products and were hunted for their oil, baleen, and other materials to be used in everything from candles to cooking oil to corsets. Since 1982, the International Whaling Commission has held a moratorium on whaling, meaning that most forms of whaling are not permitted, with some important exceptions. Those exceptions include provisions for indigenous harvest of species that are important for subsistence or cultural reasons. Whales feature strongly in many indigenous cultures and are still a significant part of cultural traditions today. Some of the most incredible discoveries about whales have also come from partnerships between scientific knowledge and indigenous knowledge. For example, the Inupiat have harvested bowhead whales for over a thousand years and have significant knowledge of this species from this experience. 
scientists have partnered with Inupiat subsistence hunters to learn more about bowhead whales, taking samples from individuals that are harvested. In one particular whale, embedded in the blubber was a stone spearhead of a kind that had not been used by bowhead whale hunters for over a hundred years. Up until this time, scientists had not been able to figure out how old these whales actually were. But with the help of indigenous knowledge, there was evidence that they lived for at least a hundred years. Now, genetic analysis tells us that they can live for over 200. After the end of commercial whaling, there's been a huge paradigm shift in regards to whales. Once viewed as commodities, they're now seen as beautiful, intelligent species that people flock to see in the wild. The whale ecotourism industry is booming, and whale watching creates jobs and economic opportunity, not just for those leading the tours, but also for restaurants, hotels, and transportation. In order to reap the benefits of these amazing species, they will need to continue to persist for many years to come. But barnacles and whales are both facing serious threats. For barnacles, the theme we've been discussing over the past couple episodes has come back into play again. Ocean acidification is a huge threat to barnacles because just like many other marine invertebrates, they use calcium carbonate to create the plates that make up their shells. As a result of ocean acidification, the ocean is becoming more and more acidic as carbon dioxide is absorbed and reacts with water to become carbonic acid. As the ocean becomes more acidic, the calcium carbonate needed to create these plates becomes less and less available, so barnacles become softer and grow slower. Barnacles also face other threats, such as from marine debris, ship strikes and groundings, and even from construction damage. As for whales, there are a variety of issues threatening their existence. For many species of baleen whales, they had already been reduced to extremely low numbers as a result of commercial whaling, and were just starting to bounce back when climate change became a hot issue. One big threat now is a reduction in prey availability as a result of climate change. Especially for those who eat krill, warming temperatures combined with human harvesting are likely to have an impact on the availability of this prey species. Another big problem is entanglement, whether it be in ropes from setups like lobster pots or from marine debris like ghost nets that drift through the ocean. Entanglement in these kinds of materials can lead to anything from a minor increase in drag to death for these whale species. Ship strikes are also a huge issue, with whales being struck by ships which may not be able to see these animals in their path. Noise is also a big problem. These species are highly sensitive to sound and have complex communication patterns, so oceanic noise like from sonar, coastal development, offshore construction, or shipping can cause changes in behavior and foraging ability. So given the threats facing whales and barnacles, what is currently being done to protect them? For barnacles, the most relevant actions are those being taken to address climate change and ocean acidification. For whales, there are some additional measures being taken to prevent other sources of mortality. For one, 
ship speed limits have been implemented in different areas at different parts of the year. For example, where I am in North Carolina, we have speed regulations right now for North Atlantic right whales. These speed limits are meant to help prevent ship strikes as these whales are migrating through these waters right off the coast of North Carolina. There are also ongoing efforts to make the fishing industry safer for these species. Since entanglement in fishing gear is one of the biggest issues facing whales, there have been regulations implemented and new inventions created to try to deal with this problem. For the Atlantic Large Whale Take Reduction Plan, this means restrictions on the locations and time of year that gear can be put out, seasonal closures of particular areas, using weak links in lines connecting pots to buoys, and even a large whale disentanglement program. This program sends out rescuers after identified entangled whales to try to remove the gear the whale is entangled in. Back at the beginning of the year, there was even a rescue effort for a North Atlantic right whale that was found entangled in lobster pots from Nova Scotia, right off the coast of North Carolina. This whale, named Argo, was at least 42 at the time, and was so entangled that he was not using his tail to swim at all, but using his front pectoral fins. Through a collaborative effort over three days, the whale was successfully unentangled, but he's not been spotted since. We can only hope that he was able to bounce back from this experience. There is hope, though. For species that were almost hunted to extinction as late as the 1970s, whales have largely made a remarkable turnaround. For humpback whales, the population has sprung back, and many populations have been removed from the endangered species list. As for North Atlantic right whales, the situation remains dire. But just last week, the first calf of the 2023-24 season was spotted off the coast of South Carolina. So there are still glimpses of hope. So what can we as individuals do to protect these species? For whales, you can help by contacting representatives on behalf of these species, write letters to organizations like the IWC or the National Marine Fisheries Service, and support ocean conservation through buying sustainable seafood and volunteering at trash cleanups. If you live on the coast or frequently visit the ocean, make sure to follow speed limits and keep a safe distance between you and any whales or other species you encounter. Plus, if you ever see a whale being harassed, an entangled or injured whale, or a dead whale, you can call the NOAA hotline at 866-755-6622. For barnacles, the best actions are those that will help to stop the increasing threat of ocean acidification. For this, you can also contact your representatives and push for legislation that will help mitigate ocean acidification and climate change. You can also support companies and nonprofits that are leading the fight against carbon emissions, whether these are companies with sustainable practices or research and policy organizations. Using less pesticides and fertilizers also helps reduce runoff into ocean ecosystems that can contribute to ocean acidification. You can also take steps to reduce your individual carbon emissions through carpooling, conserving water and energy, and buying sustainable or reusable products. And of course, one of the best ways to make a difference is to spread the word to others.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Invert Extroverts. If you enjoyed or want to find out where you can learn more, make sure to leave us a question or comment in the Q&A box. Until next time, I might not be an extrovert, but I do love inverts. Bye.